Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Today we're beginning, though, a new series titled Unusual God, and it's a series that focuses on some of God's attributes that are unusual or some unusual aspects of his attributes. I believe that this time of year, January, is a great time of year to focus on our relationship with our Creator, and so many times in January, I just want to talk about God. I want us to, to, to get to know our God because I think if things are right with our Creator, especially at the beginning of a new year, if things are right with God, everything else springs from that. And so I think it's important for us to, to use this time of year to reconnect with our Creator. Now, anytime I'm speaking on a subject like this, like what God is like, I know there are some people that are either watching or listening that wonder in your minds, well, isn't it kind of presumptuous to say this is what God is like? Who are you to say what God is like? And, and, and how do we even know what God is like? And my perspective is that God has revealed himself through the pages of the Bible that I regard as the word of God. I'm convinced that the Bible is the word of God, and I've talked about this before. It was a book that covers 4,000 years of human history. It was a book that was written by over 40 different authors who lived on different continents, who had different socioeconomic backgrounds. And they penned this book over millennia, and yet it's one book, the Bible. And I find that remarkable. You know, other religious books out there are written by one person who claims they got this thing from God, but 40 authors? And the fact that there's agreement in terms of what God is like from the beginning to the end, it's just remarkable. And so years ago, I... I became convinced this is true. And part of the reason was even, and I've used this analogy before, but I'm a twin, and, and I've thought before that if my twin brother and I were to both be assigned a writing assignment of some kind on some subject, even though we were born in the same womb at the same time, and in the same household raised, and in the same society, our books would be very different. And yet I look at the book of Genesis and I see the way God is and I say that's exactly the way God is and Exodus and Leviticus and when I see what people are like according to the Bible and it just confirms it in my own mind that God is indeed as he's revealed himself to us and what this means to me is that he wants a relationship with us. I mean God could have created everything and then just disappeared and said have a good time. But God chose to let us know what he was like specifically so we could enter into a relationship with him. Now, our view of God really matters in terms of how we'll relate to him then. A lot of people, maybe even most Christians, have the view that God is kind of like an angry judge, kind of like this picture here. He's always looking to find some kind of fault. He's always looking to accuse you of, of something that you've done wrong. That's the image that a lot of people have. In this picture, it looks like this God is basically saying, get lost. And if this is what your view is of God, you're not going to be inclined to want a relationship with him. But that is not the way the God of the Bible is. That's why it's important we understand what he's like. This kind of God repels people. 
Kind of like this other picture here that I found online with as an older man wearing one of those sandwich boards. I guess that's what they're called. It says on a God is angry with the wicked. And you can just look at the face of the young man. Do you think that this young man is going to be inclined to want to embrace the God that this guy is peddling? Our God is not like that. Now, God gets angry, so you don't get me wrong here. In fact, there's a verse in the Old Testament, fascinating verse, that says God gets angry every day. I think God sees things that happen in our world, and He is disturbed by those things, but the view of God's anger needs to be rounded out. God revealed Himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, and He said that He was gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And if your view of God is that He's quick to anger, that's not the biblical view of God. And yet, this is how many people view God. Other people view God as kind of like being like a Santa Claus. And here's how I think you know whether you view him as a Santa Claus. If you ask God for something, and then you add the phrase, something along the lines of, I've been a good boy. <laughs> and it sounds a little bit like Santa Claus, you know? If you get angry with God for not giving you the things that you ask for, you're not viewing God properly. He is God. And, and he's going to say yes sometimes. He's going to say no sometimes. Other people have a vision of God that he's like a naive grandfatherly type. Grandkids can do nothing wrong, and, and he doesn't realize the things they're kind of getting into. What is our God like? The way we see him is going to impact how we relate to him. And so we want to talk about some of these unique attributes of God, and today I'm focusing on love. Now, love is not one of the more unique attributes of God. But how it's displayed is unique. The way God loves is different than the love that we have for one another. And that's what I want to focus on here today. God's love is different. First of all, it's different because God is love. He doesn't just love, He is love. When, when God loves, it, He's acting out of His very nature. Everything He does is love. Even when God does justice and judgment, it's, it's tempered by love. Because our God is love. He doesn't cease being loving. He's always loving. But he expresses his love in such unique ways as well. And I want to look at four of them here today. We're going to be focusing here on Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 39. Some of the most amazing verses in the Bible. In fact, if you could, if you could really believe Romans 8, 28 to 39, I think it would change your life and your view of God forever. You'd understand how he loves us. But I want to look at four different points about God's love, four unique aspects of his love. And I'm using the acrostic love to make it more memorable. I don't know if it'll succeed, but L-O-V-E, each letter stands for something. Let's begin reading in Romans 8:28, where we read, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, some translations put this, we know God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. God causes everything in a believer's life to work out for the good. The first point I want to make in terms of the love of God is this, because God is love, He always looks out for our good. He's always looking out for our benefit. And when I examine my own life, I realize this is not how I've been over the years. In May of this year, I'll be have been married for 34 years, but it wasn't until recently, probably three or four years ago, was the first time that I realized that a lot of the things I did in my marriage 
or with my family were not because I loved them, that I was seeking my own things, if there was a conflict between what my wife wanted and what I wanted, many times I'd stand for what I wanted, thinking in my mind, well, my desires are more important. That's not love. Love is when you, you look at the other person's needs and desires. And Paul wasn't saying here that bad things won't happen to us. He's just saying that everything that happens to us, God is able to and willing to work it out to bring about somehow good. Now, I think it's important to mention that this promise and everything else we're going to be looking at here today is made to those who are described in this passage as being ones who love God. All things work together for the good of those who love God, and they're also described as being ones who were called according to His purpose. One thing I want us to understand is at least the things we're looking at here today do not apply to everybody in the world. They apply to those that love God. Now, our subject this morning is not our love for God, but His love for us. But I do want to make the point that it's about a relationship. And God's heart is toward us because He has a relationship with us. And we'll see in a minute, it's an eternal relationship that He has with us. It does, though, raise the question, well, how do I know if um, I'm one of the ones who loves God? And from the rest of the book of Romans, we learn that a person who fits into that category, the one who's called according to His purpose, is somebody who has acknowledged his or her spiritual need for a Savior and reaches out to Jesus Christ, putting his or her hope and trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ to save them from their sin. The whole book of Romans up to this point we're looking at here today is about that, how the whole world is, is sinful. We all miss the mark with God, how God came in to take care of the problem. God so loved the world, he sent his son. He demonstrated his love toward us in the well where we had sinners. Christ died for us. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when we put our trust in Jesus, we're called lovers of God. And so I hope you see yourself as that. You know, in the Old Testament, the greatest command was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's our, the greatest command in both the Old and New Testament. Well, we are lovers of God. And it's because we know God through faith in Christ. And so what that means is that because God is love, he looks out for our good. Second, the letter O, he oversees our salvation from beginning to end. Now, this is going to get a speck theological, so don't glass over on me here. But God is behind the entire process of the relationship that you will have with him since before time began and to eternity in the future. You were in the heart and mind of God. I don't know if you realize that. If you are a believer in Christ, you were in God's heart and mind before God even created the heavens and the earth, and God made a commitment to you, an unbreakable commitment to you. Now, love is one of those things that should endure. First Corinthians 13, love never fails, but the love we show one another many times doesn't endure, does it? Most marriages these days don't go the distance. You know, we said till death do us part, but something happened, something came in along the way. We all probably have friends in our lives that we thought, well, I'll be friends with this person forever, but something came up and you're really not friends with that person anymore and that's the kind of love we have. But God's love is a commitment and it's a commitment that started before you were born and it's a commitment that extends until the end of time. Let's read about it here. A love that never fails, beginning of verse 29. For those God foreknew... 
He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, Jesus would be in this place of honor among the rest of us. Verse 30, and those he predestined, those God predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, these are a lot of theological terms. It talks about the calling of God, you know, and the foreknowledge of God, and the predestination of God, and the glorification that he provides. And these are all theological terms, but the most important thing I want us to walk away with at this point is the fact that, that these are all connected, that literally everyone that God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And every single one that he predestined, he called them to himself. And every single one he called, he, he justified, he declared them righteous. And every single one that he justified or declared righteous, he's going to glorify. And all the verbs used in the, this section here are all in the past tense because in the mind of God, it's an already done deal. What this means is that you, you can't slip away. What this means is that your standing with God is secure. And this is where you have to wrestle with this because people have trouble believing it. We're so conditional in our love for one another. Dr. Whitmer puts it this way, between the start and finish of God's plan are three steps, being called, being justified, and being glorified. And in the process, not a single person is lost. God completes his plan without slippage. Now, let's talk about the words for just a minute, because they mean more than it, it might seem. It starts by saying, for those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. The word foreknew or foreknow in the Bible does not mean to know ahead of time. It means more than that. Uh, the word means to have a, a relationship ahead of time. It, it's someone who, he, he had a relationship with you is what it means. Before you were even created, you were foreknown by God. Now, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand it, but you were in the heart and mind of God. He knew you by name. That's what the New Testament teaches. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 1.4. He said, for he, God, chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, which is exactly what Paul's saying here. The ones that he foreknew, you were in the heart and mind of God before creation. He predestined that something would happen to you, namely that you'd become like Jesus one day. And your whole Christian life is about being conformed to the image of Jesus until the day you get a new body. The day when sin is removed from you and you're just like Jesus except not divine. But God is conforming us into the image of his son Jesus. And so those he foreknew, he predestined to conform those ones to be like Jesus. So you all are going to be like Jesus. I, I knew you all by name. You're all going to be like Jesus. Then what does he do? Well, the next step it says is he calls them. Those he foreknew, he called and the word call here isn't just a general call. It's, it's used in the New Testament to describe a personal call, like calling you by name. This isn't just like an invitation that goes out. You know, when I share the gospel message here, it, I, I, I just, I put the invitation out for everybody. It's a general call, but that's not the word that's used here when it says he called. This is calling you to himself. And so Whitmer puts it this way. Called means more than being invited to receive Christ. It means to be summoned to and given salvation. And so at a certain point in your life, you met Jesus. You understood your sin and you reached out to Jesus and he called you to himself and you began a relationship with God. 
And every single one that was called, he justified them, it says. The word justify means to declare righteous. Not guilty. So every single one is declared not guilty. And every single one will be glorified one day. Even though it's the future in the mind of God, it's in the past. This is the security we have. This is the commitment that God has made to us. That's a different kind of love. You were in my mind before I created the world and you'll be in my mind for the end of all time. That's the kind of love that God has toward us. And it's, it's, I find it quite remarkable. So because God is love, he looks out for our good. He oversees our salvation from beginning to end. Third, he, he vouches for us. Now I've made the mistake in the past of sometimes not standing up for somebody not defending someone, even my own wife sometimes, I should have defended her, and I, I didn't, I kept quiet, you know, part of what it means to love is to vouch for other people, to stand up for them. And this is what God does for us. God basically has our back forever. He vouches for us. Let's read about it, beginning in verse 31, where we read, what then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Let me stop for a moment, but the God is for us includes all those things we just talked about. Do you want to know whether for sure God is for you? Those he foreknew. He predestined to be like Jesus, and those he predestined, he called. In every one of those he called, he justified. In every one of those that he justified, he glorified in the future. What do we say to this? That's, I mean, Paul's overwhelmed here as he writes this. What do I say to this? If God is for us, who can accuse us? Who can make an accusation here against us? Verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Of course, I could have just done this point, the sacrificial love of Christ, of God. He sacrificed his own son for us if we ever wonder whether he loves us. If God did not withhold the most precious thing from you and from me, how much more will he give us? But this third point relates to the verses that follow, beginning in verse 33. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Okay, the image that comes to my mind here is like a court. And it's, it's like we're as believers on, on Judgment Day and we're all there and Paul's raising the question, who can bring an accusation against you and you and you? Who can bring the, the accusation? That's the question that's being asked. And imagine for a moment there's silence waiting for somebody to, to put out an accusation of some kind. You know, what's the accusation? Over the years I've told a lot of um, driving stories I've also mentioned, though, in the past that despite all my driving stories, which they continue to this day, despite all my driving stories, <clears throat> I've never received a uh, speeding ticket. Never once. I'm not saying I haven't been pulled over. I have been pulled over. It's just that in every occasion where I've been pulled over by a police officer for speeding, for some reason, and it's always different reasons, but for some reason, the officer's been so kind and gracious and said, oh, I'm not going to give you a ticket. I mean, one time it was because my kid was screaming because the car had stopped and he woke up and was startled, you know. Officer said, what's wrong with your kid? I said, well, I stopped the car. He said, oh, okay, get going. 
don't think he could stand the thought of this kid, you know, crying. Another time I was coming back for a, f a funeral, and I wasn't trying to get out of the ticket. I just, I just was sad looking. <laughs> How do you give a ticket to somebody that's coming back from a funeral? I don't know. I was all dressed for the occasion. I, I don't know. I've never gotten a speeding ticket, but I did on one occasion get a, a ticket of a different kind. I was in Chicago driving on a major expressway, probably six lanes on each side. I realized I was in a lane that was going to be an exit-only lane, and so I needed to get out of that lane before the solid line started. Problem is there was too much traffic. So I put over my turn signal, but it, nobody would let me in. You know how that is sometimes. You politely say, can I move over? And then what do they do? They crunch the hole so you can't get in there. Evil. <laughs> probably not a lover of God. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I get over as soon as I can. All of a sudden, I see the lights. And I say, okay, I'll pull over. The officer says, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, I, I don't know. And he said, well, you know that that lane you were in was an exit only. I said, yeah. And, the, and he said, it had that solid line. Yeah. I said, I know. And I got over as soon as I could. And he said, well, your right rear passenger tire clipped the edge of the line when you got over. One tire. This is Chicago. And you're pulling me over because one tire. The other three made it okay. Give the ticket to the one tire. One tire. Are you kidding? I even told him I went to Bible college hoping that would help. Like, I'll pray for you. He gave me a ticket. I, I, you know, if it, if it had been speeding, even though I wasn't speeding, had he given me a ticket for speeding, I would have accepted it saying, I don't deserve it, but I deserve any ticket I get. But this one, no, no, no. I, I fought this. I, I went to court. I said, I'm going to show up for this one. I, I just disagreed with it in principle. So I show up. Judge sees one or two people, and then all of a sudden the judge said, okay, all of you that are here, who got a ticket from so-and-so officer, I want you to stand. And so about 20 of us stood up. I mean, most of the rooms stood up. All of us had tickets from this guy. And then he said, um, you, you have the right to face your accuser, but your accuser's not here. He didn't show up for the trial. So, you're all free. None of you are going to get a ticket. Just on the way out, sign that you were here, drop off the paperwork, you're done. You don't have an accuser. And therefore, they couldn't charge me with the crime. Paul asked the question, who can bring a charge against God's elect? The first person that comes to mind is God. Maybe God. But Paul answers, no, it's not God. God's the one that justified you. He, he was the very one that said not guilty. He's not going to be the one to call you guilty now, so it's certainly not God. Well, then maybe it was Jesus. Maybe Jesus can accuse you on that day. Paul says, it's not Jesus. He's the one that died for you, my I mean, he died for you so that you'd be forgiven. It can't be Jesus. Besides, he rose again from the dead, and he's actually praying for you. He's interceding for you. And so Paul said in Romans 8, 1, therefore no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for us. And John wrote in 1 John 2, 1, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate, a defense attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We're forgiven, we're cleansed ones. And you think, well, if God forgives your sins like that, it'll make you want to sin more. No, just the opposite happens. 
you're so grateful for his amazing love for you that it causes you to want to live differently, to please him. Because God is love, he looks out for our good. He oversees our salvation from the beginning to the end. He vouches for us. And finally, his um, love endures all things. Love, again, I think between people is very conditional. We love people because they're attractive, maybe, or, or because of the way they treat us. Or we'll love people if they treat us a certain way. God's love is different. He says, I'll love you despite... He says, I will love you even if. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That is huge. And so in verse 35, Paul wrote, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, there's the question. Throughout your answers, and it could be translated what, who or what, you know. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution, maybe famine, nakedness, danger, sword, you know, because we experience swords. He goes on to quote from the Old Testament, as it's written, because of you, we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. So maybe persecution will separate you from Jesus' love. Verse 37, no, and all these things were more than victorious through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that not even death or life or angels or rulers or things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I talked about the love of Christ and the love of God that are both found in Christ. Nothing can separate you from his love. I like the way Dr. Whitmer explains this because really what Paul's doing is giving these extremes. He's saying, what can separate your love? Maybe this extreme, maybe this extreme. And so Whitmer puts it this way, these elements in God's universe include the extremes of existence which number one would be death, and number two in Paul's list was life, or the extremes of created armies, number three would be angels, or number four, demons, maybe demons can, or the extremes in time, the present, or number six, the future, or spiritual enemies, powers, perhaps Satan and his demons, or possibly human governments, or the extremes in space, number eight, height, or number nine, depth. Nothing overhead or nothing underneath can suddenly come swooping down or up to sever believers from God's love. And number 10, everything in the entire created realm, absolutely nothing in his creation can thwart his purpose for believers in Christ. What a climactic way to affirm the certainty of the believer's salvation. God loves you. He is committed to you. Believe it, nothing can come between you. Now, some people have told me before, yeah, nothing can separate me from his love except me. And my response is, you're not that powerful. You're not, that, you're not stronger than God. No created thing. Nothing. Because you were in the mind of God before the creation of the world. And you're in the mind of God until the end of time. So what do we do with this? Well, I hope some of us here today maybe understand his love for the first time and you turn to Jesus to be your savior. That's the starting point. God sent his son to, to deliver you from the penalty of your sin. He rose from the dead. God accepted the payment. But you have to say yes to Jesus in prayer, in faith. And if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. For some of us here today, I just want to encourage you to believe what I've been talking about and maybe go home and read it for yourself, study it for yourself, prove me wrong. But this is the way it is. From my understanding, God's love is quite remarkable. I encourage you third to maybe develop your relationship with your creator. 
realize that that's, that's what it's really all about. And then finally, I think of, because of the relationship God has with us and the way God is love, we need to love other people. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.